Hello, my name is David James Young. You might know me as one of the four voices you're about to hear for the next hour or so on Hottest 100s and Thousands. But today, I'm coming to you as a friend. We're friends, right? It doesn't matter if you've been listening for a couple of episodes or a couple of seasons. If you are engaging with Hottest 100s and Thousands, then you have a friend in me. That's why I'm coming to you as a friend to ask, do you dig this? Do you like what we're doing? Because if so, there is one very, very simple way that you can help us out. And that is by telling people about what we're doing over here. We love doing this show and we would absolutely love it if you could share that with anyone you think even might be remotely interested. Tag us on your socials. Mention us in any conversation where podcasts come up. It would be so, so massively appreciated. Thank you again so much for your ongoing support. As I always say, we love you and we appreciate you. And now it's time for another episode of The Great Podcast. Who was it that like invented the phonograph? Was that Bell or was that the other one? Uh, it was uh, Chad Kroger. Chad yeah. Kroger. Look at this fu- is my expense the scope of my desire the party bless me with its future and i protect it with fire i am the nina the pinta gelato messina wait no sorry those are the wrong lyrics uh anyway we are hottest 100s and thousands and we have taken control of your radio station this is the podcast in which we sleep now in the fire look for ala brandy and talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the triple j hottest 100 my name is david james young i am one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so so joining me once again, Adam Buncher. Messina could do with some more sorbet choices, you know. Good call. Mm. Nathan Harrison. Hi. Um, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> no hot take on sorbet just to start off with. You know what? I'm going to say hi this time. <laughs> and Andrew McDonald. Yeah. I, I fuck with sorbet. I think I prefer it to gelato. I just don't want like milk and eggs. Um, yeah. But I, I would like an icy treat. Mm. So... Why don't you just have a humble ice cube then? You're too proud for an ice cube as, a, as an icy treat. <laughs> Put a bit of sugar on it if you want. A light dusting. <laughs> Can I just have a bowl of assorted ice cubes with a dusting of um, confectioner sugar, please? That's why it's called icing sugar. Mm. <laughs> That'll, <laughs> do. That'll do. <laughs> At number 15, it's Lotel with Teenager of the Year. Making their debut and final appearance in the Triple J Hottest 100. That is Teenager of the Year from the soundtrack for the film adaptation of the book Looking for Alla Brandy, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. I like that. Here we are. (laughs) Look. In the history of this podcast, we have talked about a slew of one-hit wonders. I think very few of them have ever quite hit close to home the same way that Teenager of the Year does. A resplendent, beautiful moment of indie rock glory that took to the hearts of the youth of the nation for a few glorious months around the summer of 2000 as it town-tracked the life of Pia Miranda as she was trying to figure out what she's going to do with the rest of her life now that she has finished school. Oh, God. 
Salad days, my friends. <laughs> She's going to win um, Celebrity Survivor, isn't she? What? Didn't she win that last year? I think it was weird. Really? Yeah. Huh. Hey, so many people really want to, like, they're dying to get onto Survivor. Ironic when you think about it. Love surviving. You know what else Pia Miranda won, though? She won The Game of Love. Cute fact about this song that will warm the very bottom of your heart. Mm. She's married to the lead singer of Lotel, Luke Hannigan, and it is entirely because this song was featured on the soundtrack. Aw, no shit. Real soundtrack love hours. That's fantastic. You love to see it. (laughs) You do. She loved to hear it. They loved to... To love one another and good work. It's like how Steve Harwell from Smash Mouth ended up hooking up with Shrek the Ogre. (laughs) (laughs) And then at night time, they realized that he was also a Shrek. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, somebody once did tell me that, actually. (laughs) I think this is interesting hearing it as a one-hit wonder, though, right? Because... One Hit Wonders are traditionally kind of erring more on the fun side. Your Venga buses, etc. Yeah, there's only a handful of One Hit Wonders that are like big ballads. I guess like uh, Walking in Memphis by Mark Cohn would be one. Mm. God, what's that Richard Mark song? The one where the girl dies and it's like super sus. What? It's from the early 90s and it's called Hazard. That's the one I'm thinking of. Slightly murder ballady 1991 smash hit. Is this song so unimpressive that we have to talk about Richard Marks, David? <laughs> <laughs> and one other that I could think of, which is also real soundtrack hours, the only solo hit for uh, Peter Cetera, uh, formerly of Chicago, was Glory of Love, of course, from the uh, Karate Kid soundtrack. I'd like to buzz in on Andrew's question and say, yes, it is. <laughs> oh really? You not you not into this, Nathan? Nah. I will always love this. Like, there's never gonna be a part of me that doesn't like instantly fucking melt the second this song comes on. I'm a total sucker for it, and I am 110 percent okay with that. So wait, like Andrew, Andrew and Nathan, you guys both are neg on this song. I, I'm like incredibly neg. I just feel like. I guess the chorus parts that are a bit more rounded out and full sound better. But like, I think the cuts between those and the acoustic bits are incredibly jarring. There's not like a natural progression between the two parts. It feels like they were like two separate songs. It's just not my kind of, I don't know, what is it, like soft rock? Yeah. It's just kind of watered down Silverchair, like really watered down. Oh, that's really watered down. You know, if, if Silverchair was gelato, then this is just ice cubes with icing sugar <laughs> sprinkled on top of it. Like, <laughs> So you're saying you quite like it, Nathan? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying Adam likes hang, it. Well, hang on, hang on. I go asking for a treat that doesn't involve any animal products and all of a sudden I'm eating ice cubes with icing sugar on the top? I mean, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Look, it's it's not terrible. I think if it wasn't for the movie, no one would give it a second look. I hate the way he sings "Year." <laughs> okay, wow. Okay, I'm I'm coming at this from the exact opposite direction, and I think I'm coming in pretty hard. This is a jam. You think this carried the movie? No, well, <laughs> I haven't seen the film. Whoa, 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 dude. Yeah, yeah. Did you not do English in high school? Yeah, yeah, like- we did. Hamlet was this was this never fucking wheeled out sorry man got nothing was it always just rabbit proof fence <laughs> I have also have never seen rabbit proof and fence. uh swimming upstream mm. I've never seen swimming upstream what are any of these films <laughs> bro what the fuck did you do at high school a lot of praying <laughs> <laughs> looking for Jesus <laughs> looking for the man JC based on the novel Bible by Sapphire <laughs> <laughs> But even when I was listening to this song, like the delivery is just straight through the teeth and sinus. There is no opening of the mouth involved when he sings Teenager of the Year. And there's also no spaces between the words when he sings Teenager of the Year. And I just, there's something about that delivery that is really unique. And you immediately kind of go like, huh. And I and I kind of dug it for that. I think this has just got a really like deep, settled very aware and wide awake sadness about it. I think this is a perfect teenage bedroom rock. This would be the song where you you throw it on and you either have a little cry to it or you you scream out the lyrics or whatever. Like it's it's kind of there and it's it's loaded with that that kind of angst. And I actually think that the lyrical conceit of the song is really sharp. It's again what I was talking about with showing and not telling. Um, and I think it actually connects to a lot of other stuff that's going on in Australian alt rock at the time. Like I don't entirely disagree about 
about it being a watered down silver chair kind of thing. Maybe I don't see that as, as the negative that you're painting it as, but I think like it also connects to like your motor races and your super Jeezys or even like the Foves if they were being really serious and had serious feelings about things other than dogs. <laughs> and Tina. Yeah, and Tina. Definitely in that kind of wheelhouse. And like, I again, I, I didn't mean to go as hard on it as I perhaps did. I don't, I don't think the song is fucking terrible or anything. It being up this high is quite remarkable. That's it, right? Like, it's not the worst, but if it's number 15, you got to kind of look at it and be like, what's going on here? I think, it's, I think it deserves to be here. Wow. If we're looking at the Hottest 100 as a time capsule of the year that people are voting for and we are reflecting on the Australian youth of the time, then absolutely this song needs to be here. There's no way it can't be here. Yeah, sure. But I, I'm just saying, like, I think if, if it's not for the movie, I don't think the song holds up on its own. Well, I haven't seen the movie. Well, I guess so. Yeah. I still don't know how that's possible. Some of us like ice cubes and sugar. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I understand why it feels relevant to have this song here with the context of looking for Ella Brandy. But as a song, I really just think it's weirdly boring. I, d- I didn't mean to go harsh on it. I don't think it's a piece of shit, but I think it's just flavorless. There's nothing in this that makes me think, holy shit, yeah, got to vote for Lotel. Do you think it is better or worse than Don't Call Me Baby by Madison Avenue? <laughs> Hmm. I think I would choose to put on Don't Call Me Baby. Well, congratulations. You are the ARIA Award for Breakthrough Artist in the year 2000. (laughs) Nice. Good one, me. That's that's their pick as well. Oh, man. Weird take. I'm looking at uh, the review on the uh, All Music review site. Um, Their take says Lotel, and I guess I haven't heard the rest of the record, so maybe this is more accurate, but it says Lotel sounds at varying times like Vertical Horizon covering Seether or vice versa. That's rough. Wow. No one one deserves that. (laughs) That's insane. Also, I'm rock hard for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. And then it it concludes with... uh, uh, fans of mature, well-crafted alt rock with a slick pop edge should pick up a copy and impress their friends who only have Goo Goo Dolls albums. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Don't know if this dude likes them or not. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that was low key savage. Also, the Goo Goo Dolls fucking rule. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like this guy has just a very narrow window of music references to make. Like <laughs> he knows, he knows three bands. Yeah. You go and check out his other reviews, and he's just like, you know, yes, uh, Run DMC sound quite nothing like Seether. It's kind of a Seether meets Goo Goo Dolls if they were rappers and it was hip hop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Have you ever wished the Goo Goo Dolls did jazz? Well, Miles Davis thought that as well. And <laughs> Kind of blue, blue dolls. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you and good night. At number 14, this is Green Day with Minority. Green Day making their return to the Hottest 100, coming in at number 14. That is the track Minority. Big, big song around this era. Andrew. David. Yeah, there we go. To do the thing. What's your take on, on Minority? Not at all the first Green Day song I heard, but the first time I heard a song that was by Green Day and thought, holy fuck, Green Day are good. Cards on the Table. This is one that has a lot of nostalgic attachment for me. I remember loving this song. Uh, Billy Joe was saying that this song, writing this one, was the first time they started to flirt with more political stuff in their writing and obviously it's political in the vaguest sense it's just about like being an individual in the face of confirmity right the great line because you know talking about the the pledge allegiance to the underworld or whatever billy joe said that 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 was taken from the pledge of allegiance but twisted upside down a little bit i know it's kind of a jokeified version of the pledge (laughs) one man could be so bold (laughs) <laughs> that dorky analysis aside from Billy Joe, this back then was a great time for Green Day, I think. The warning record came after some of their more huge kind of mainstream popularity. Like, obviously, good riddance, time of your life kind of thing. Warning was kind of like them trying to recapture a bit of that popularity. When they were touring for it, they um, were the headlining act on the Vans Warp Tour. And 
Fat Mike of NoFX, friend of the pod, said um, they were the biggest band on tour, but it wasn't by that far. Green Day weren't super popular at the time. I think they did the Warp Tour because they wanted to get popular again. And then Mike, never one to mince words, then said, I think Warning's probably their worst album. <laughs> um, <laughs> that quote was from 2006. Ooh, nah, still, still nah. Their Warning record, we've, like, we've spoken about obviously the, the title track, which is also the first song on the record. Sounds incredibly different to this, obviously. That being like an acoustic walking baseline kind of song. This being a more traditional kind of punk rock song. But I still feel like there's a similar songwriting approach between the two tracks if we were to compare them, right? Still falls in the realm of like hooky driven pop punk with a very catchy sing-along chorus. But I think compositionally, it does feel like a bit of a folk punk song. Oh, There's definitely. That kind of, 100%. Like, yeah. Exactly my notes as well, right? Because I mean, like the expanded brain take on punk is that it's a subgenre of folk anyway. Of folk music, yeah. Yeah, right? And for Green Day to be able to make me think of that in the context of writing a pop song, a very successful mainstream pop song, number one for five weeks in a row on the Billboard Modern Rock chart in late 2000. That's kind of cool that you're connecting all these different threads and all these different worlds together while at the same time making a marketable song. Yeah, hugely. This is one of those ones that for me, it's very tricky for me to unpack rationally because it's one that I've known for 20 years, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it very first came out and I remember loving it as a fucking young lad. And again, like much like I've said before with other kind of pop punk songs being a gateway into me getting into actual punk rock like a couple of years after this. So I love it so much for that reason. I think Billy Joe's voice is in terrific for me. Like the drumming is doing some, a lot of great work here, I think. There's like rolls on the snare rim, give it a real kind of like rollicking kind of, and it adds to the folkness of it all, right? And that just works so fucking well for me. And I just think it's a lot of fun as a fucking pop punk tune. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Owing to that folk kind of rambliness and Billy Joe, it's just lovely. Like It feels like it could be taken from a like a traditional Irish folk song. Super, The man. way that the verses kind of resolve with da-da-da-da. All that sort of stuff. Like, it's it's all just there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just pulling out the accordion. I know, right? nowhere. It absolutely could be a song by, not necessarily the Pogues, but um, Nathan, what's Shane McGowan's band after the Pogues? Uh, I don't know. Sh- Shane McGowan and the Popes. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Popes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just changed a couple of letters. Yeah. <laughs> but it absolutely could sound like a song of Shane McGowan and the Popes. Like Flogging Molly or something. Flogging Molly, like even Murphy's. Yeah, 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 totally. It just fucking works, man. This is a fucking blast of a like sing-along song like i've never said bothered to see green day live and i doubt i ever will now because they're current day green day but like if you were at the warp tour you'd absolutely be singing along to it it's just that it's built for that kind of core crowd interaction screaming the same sort of vibe that i get from from living end from songs like west end riot and stuff it's just that like huge punk crowd singing along and bouncing along to this really fun song like it just yeah yeah It's great. This is a great, great song. Yeah, I am in a similar boat to Andrew in that I uh, vividly remember coming across this song as a kid. I was just like, oh, it's so exciting. This is the new Green Day song. I'd already come across them because of Time of Your Life and shit like that. And to kind of hear them really kind of kick into overdrive the way that they did. And it's like, I very vividly remember the music video, which is them in the middle of like a, a parade. The music video, man, this is like a real fucking specific, specific moment in time nostalgia thing for me is when I was yeah. in primary school and we had like the computer lab and there was like free time after you finished your like whatever the equivalent of work was when you were in the computer lab at 12 years old. Yeah. Going to the Green Air website and spending ages. So a small, presumably like 144p QuickTime MOV file of the video would play. (laughs) And we're watching that like in in class, man. Fucking love it. So good. I just read here also, uh, someone could make a fun Virgin Chad thing here after Fat Mike said it's probably their worst record. Uh, Joel Madden of Good Charlotte said that he idolized Green Day so much and he thinks that Warning was one of their best records. <laughs> oh, man. Great. Now I agree with Joel Madden. I hope you're happy. <laughs> no. Do you reckon this is a reliable kind of indicator of where the band would go with American Idiot? No. Neither do I, right? Warning is such an idiosyncratic record stylistically because, like, so many songs are on acoustic guitar. Mm. Um, they use heaps of accordion. It's definitely their, probably their most 60s-inspired record up to this point. There's a lot of stuff on here that's, yeah, a lot more, like, college rock and pop rock and, yeah, 60s uh, folk rock. And this is such an interesting record for them 
in terms of that sound because the records before and after are very electric and very loud and very rock. On the last record, fucking Time of Your Life was the exception, not the rule. Whereas yeah. this record is way more based on acoustic guitar and way more folky in nature. It's definitely the most unique Green Day record. It's not the best, but definitely one of the most unique that they've done. Mm. And I think the whole thing with American Idiot is that they intended it to be a sharp turn. Yeah, totally know? right. And it's so much why people really categorize Green Day as being pre and post American Idiot. Yeah, absolutely. I believe American Idiot was one that they completed a record um, and then weren't happy with it at all, I believe, and scrapped it and then made American Idiot. That's right, yeah. That explains the kind of significant four-year gap between uh, Warning and American Idiot. Yeah, so there was also the release of international super hits in the interim. So that was kind of them like kind of packing up everything and like putting kind of a line in the sand. You're right. They really did draw a line in the sand there, Deej, because not only did they release international super hits, but they also released the B-side compilation Shenanigans. Oh, yeah. Sh- so they, shenanigans. Yeah, 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 of course. So, so they were totally drawing a line in the sand between the pre and po- like that era, right? It's going to be a hot minute before we talk about Green Day again. Just uh, but before we go, because uh, this song, I-, I thought it'd be fun if we go around the table and um. What's your favourite minority? Shut it down. At number 13, it's Rage Against the Machine with Sleep Now in the Fire. Machine making their return to the Triple J Hottest 100, coming in at number 13 with the song Sleep Now in the Fire. Who else could we throw to but our resident machine rager himself, Adam Boncher? I was on the internet recently and uh, I saw. Oh, it. really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. Like, set up for your stand up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> have you guys heard of this? Have you heard of this? <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, so I was on the internet recently and I saw someone comment calling Rage Against the Machine Limp Biscuit for Socialists. <laughs> it upset me then and it upsets me now. Neither band deserves that. No, that is, that is absolutely true. No one wins. Everyone loses. I'm upset. I think about that about once a day and just get a little mad. Mm. Um, <laughs> That's so good. So... As mentioned, Rage Against the Machine were a formational band for me in high school. They probably could be credited as one of the, you know, introduction to music bands for me. Um, So I've heard this song so many times, but I feel like in preparation for this podcast is the first time I really listened to it and really saw what it is in terms of like what Rage Against the Machine is doing. And we've kind of talked about how Rage Against the Machine actually have a startling amount of variety in their songwriting, right? How we were all surprised to find that they adopted a bit of a storytelling gear when we talked about Maria, how specifically they hone into things inside their lyrics when you really dig deeply. And what we have in this song, to me, it just seems like you take Rage Against the Machine and you condense them down into a singularity and then you let that singularity fucking explode. Mm. And that's really what's going on with this song, right? You've got what is ostensibly kind of a traditional rock and roll riff or as close as Rage Against the Machine ever get, something that could be taken from the 70s. People say that the guitar riff and the tone particularly resembles a Stooges song by the name of TVI. And there's also been a few people who have commented that the the rhythm of the main riff really resembles a 1991 song by Nirvana called Breed. You can definitely pay the elements of both of those things that people have brought up it, it kind of immediately. And it's really cool that it recalls that because what you then see in the lyrics similarly is something that's not rooted in any one time and place, but it's more of this kind of like, blast beat 
abstract lyrical kind of thing where we're, we're looking at the past, the present and future of colonialism, of capitalism, of consumption, of greed and war. And the way it kind of rattles through all of that it almost has this kind of countercultural beatnik Allen Ginsberg 60s energy to it, right? We're tying the colonization of America to a far distant nuclear holocaust. It really is Rage Against the Machine at their largest kind of scope. They just kind of explode outwards. And like the riff and the sonics of the music really represents that as well. Especially in the way that you've the, the verses are kind of like they're just kind of bubbling under, um, particularly just being driven along by that by that rhythm section and that drone that Morello kind of puts on the guitar before we just like kind of really kick it in. The grand scope that it kind of takes on, which is mainly cemented in the lyrics by them using the, the this pronoun I, it's like they're kind mm. of giving voice in the poetry to the spirit of whatever it is causes this kind of like capitalist fucking woe right? They're, they're personifying it. There's just kind of a lot more there than I thought. And the fact that we've been able to say that every single time we've come to Rage Against the Machine just rules. Dude, it just rules so fucking hard. Um, the lyrics, uh, you're right, man, that Ginsburg kind of free-flowing kind of stuff. Just have to quickly fucking draw a highlighter over the um, the third verse, which is very brief. For it's the end of history, it's caged and frozen still. There's no other pill to take, so swallow the one that makes you ill. Uh-huh. Like, as an incredibly cynical, hard, left-leaning person, that's what kind of it is right now, right? There's no other pill to take, so swallow the one that makes you ill. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll just vote for, like, the soft labor guys. Like, that's all you can fucking do. <laughs> um, and, like, also, just briefly as well, fucking... I've made no uh, secret of my um, thoughts on like most guitar solos are kind of crap, but I love the guitar solo in this because he's just like whammy buying feedback. Yeah, he's not touching that fretboard. He's just changing the pitch on the feedback, which rules. This is, again, not necessarily another side to raise because it is clearly a Rage Against the Machine song, but Adam, you're so right that like you compare this to like Guerrilla Radio or Renegades of Funk or Killing in the Name and they're all quite different modes. They're still operating as the tight fucking unit that they are, but it just works so fucking well and... I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to not just talk about how good the video is. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. well no, we, we've, we've brought it up though, so we, we should talk about it. The song does rule on its own. The song is terrific. It's one yep. of my favorite tracks from my favorite Rage Against the Machine album, and it's great, and it is riffy, similar to one of my favorite Stooges songs, TVI, like you said, Adam. So there's a lot mm. to love about the song oh, itself. Oh, dude, first time I heard TVI, it's just like... Oh, so that's where they got it from. Yeah. And again, right, like that ties Rage Against the Machine. Uh, Adam, like you said, when we talk about Green Day, in a way you can see punk rock as following the ethos of folk music. And in Rage Against the Machine's own way, they are following the ethos of punk rock. And mm. in doing so, referencing arguably one of the earliest kind of punk rock bands, they tie that lineage together in the same way that they tie their lineage to various groups on the Renegades record, which comes a year after this. But to, to begin hinting at that ongoing narrative of Rage Against the Machine is simply another step in protest music. They're not the be-all, end-all. They're a continuation. They're, they're meant to be a vehicle kind of thing. Um, and again, I, I don't know whether this is me reading meaning onto it or whether it was kind of necessary, but I love the way that musically drawing the parallel and and recognizing its place historically, the way that that's mirrored inside the lyrics in the fact that so many historical events, be it Vietnam, be it Hiroshima, they are all referenced as well. Christopher Columbus, like it's all there. It is all there. This struggle that we're experiencing now is is part of a, a bigger thing. And there are other people that have come before us and people will come after us. And it's solidarity, you know, like it's a song about solidarity yeah, as much yeah. as anything, yeah. which is just yeah. so good. And, and exactly, it does it musically as well. In its own way, it's super for fucking Billy Bragg, Ian. Yeah. Like, that ongoing wow. struggle, right? Like, and I, I say that as a compliment to both acts. Like, yep. uh, okay, let's talk about the video. Adam, talk about the video and how perfect it is. Okay, okay. So, it happened on January 26, 2000. It was a collaboration between Rage Against the Machine and Michael Moore. The idea being that they would set up and they would play this song live in front of Wall Street on the steps of Federal Hall National Memorial. It was expected that they were going to do this. However, there were certain permits like shooting on the sidewalk or the street or having loud noise permits or proper parking permits even. Got to watch out for that. Or the fact that they shot it on a weekday. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, while Wall Street was, was in operation. So 
Michael basically came in, the quote is from, from Tom Morello saying that uh, the instruction was no matter what happens, you don't stop playing. So the NYPD showed up and they arrested Moore and they led him away. And just as he was being led away, Moore yelled out to the band, take the New York Stock Exchange. And so anyone who had, who had showed up to watch Rage Against the Machine play and the band themselves just kind of stormed into the Stock Exchange. Hundreds of people. Two, 200-odd people <laughs> ran into the Stock Exchange and caused the whole thing to be shut down for the day. Fucking owns, man. Owns. That's so good. And if you want to see what it looks like, well, that's the film clip. Yeah. And there really is some truly excellent shots and excellent footage that kind of goes into that. Like just seeing Zach and the rest of the band passionately kind of standing there and performing. There's something huge about that. And in the clip, it's also really nicely juxtaposed to the other thing that the clip composes of, which is this uh, satirical who wants to be a millionaire takeoff where mm. you see like the band pretending to be the house band and they're wearing suits and boots mm. and, you know, they're really crooning with it and really like, you know, hamming it up for that. To see that very stylized satirical performance against them actually standing there as themselves passionately performing in real time, on Wall Street, is just so, so choice. And then you get to see them, of course, trying to continue that performance as the police literally encroach upon, you know, where they're playing and trying to navigate that. If you've never seen it, it's it's incredible. And probably should have deserved to win the 2000 MTV <laughs> Music Video Award for Best Rock Video, but it did not. <laughs> that instead went to the non-socialist Limp Bizkit, Limp Bizkit. Bizkit. <laughs> <laughs> And their video for Break Stuff. And another yeah. story comes along from here. Look, counterpoint, the video for Sleep Now in the Fire does not contain Jonathan Davis. It does not contain <laughs> Dr. Dre. And it certainly does not contain Eminem. So, you know, that's a that's a 3-0 in favour of Break Stuff. The math checks out. <laughs> but the video for Sleep Now in the Fire does contain a brief cameo from... Star Trek Voyager's Ensign Harry Kim, aka actor Garrett Wayne. So that's kind of <laughs> cool for the Star Trek fans <laughs> in the audience. I know Voyager's nobody's favorite Star Trek. But it's still but, a Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is this the video as well that ends with that quote of the politician yes, called the quote. like anti family? Yeah. Anti family he says, and pro terrorism. No, but he says a band called The Machine Rages On. Yeah. <laughs> the Machine yeah. Rages yeah. On. Yeah. That's the band it. is anti family yeah. and pro terrorist. Yeah. Which, hey, pretty good stances. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to get in early and apologize for that one, Andrew? Before the uh, okay. letters come in? They, they will just say I was in ISO for a while and I hear one <laughs> political song and get riled up like a motherfucker. And I'm sorry if you're offended. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, this is getting worse. Oh, have I offended you, have I? That fucking limp. Oh, I'm sorry if you were offended by what I said, but what I blah, 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 blah. Anyway, yeah. Some terror. No, shut up, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> so to loop, to loop back, to loop back. Um, yeah, the 2000 MTV Music Video Awards. Tim Comerford, the bassist for Rage Against the Machine. Tim.com. I think Tim.com quite enjoyed the Sleep Now in the Fire video and thought it should win. And he, he decided to make that known because he decided to get up while Limp Bizkit were accepting their award and climb on a, a large set piece try and, and kind of swing on it a little bit and try Look, and kind of bring it down. He was, he was really happy for Limp Bizkit and he was <laughs> going to let him finish, but Rage Against the Machine had one of the best videos of all time. Of all time! Very, yeah, very much. He's not wrong. Much. And you can also <laughs> see footage of that. Uh, I confirmed there's, some, there's a few videos of that uh, on YouTube as well. And it is worth noticing that they did get their own back in terms of winning the award over Limp Bizkit, um, where Guerrilla Radio won over Take a Look Around for Best Rock Performance. There's certainly an element watching the video of like, this is two of the biggest sort of pop cultural or close to it political forces at this time between Mike, Michael Moore and, and Rage Against the Machine doing this huge protest thing and then just being like, oh, yeah, and, and nothing matters, I guess. And the machine, you know, they, yeah, it just keeps going. I mean, obviously, with Bush, there was a, a bit of a bump in political bands or whatever. And we'll talk about Green Day some more eventually. But this kind of like political action as part of the music doesn't mm. happen uh, on this level again, I don't think. There are obviously still many political bands and many activist groups, but like this is a pretty special moment of a band 
with very radical politics that are made super clear and have been picked up by a huge crowd base taking action as part of being the band and that being a really like, you know, it was snubbed for an MTV award, like a Wall Street protest. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it is kind of sucky that like that wasn't the start of something. Mm. And if anything, it was the end of something. And certainly this is the tail end of... um, of Rage. This isn't actually the last time we talk about Rage, but it is the last new song we'll talk about for Rage. So that kind of sucks. Right. Oh, did, do they get in with a song again? Yeah, they year? do. Fantastic. <laughs> you love to see it. <laughs> oh, good. You know what, Nathan? I want to. Something that just occurred to me when you were talking there about the, the disappointment that you have seeing that, that no action happened. Perhaps what we can draw from it is in much the same way that this song talks about there always being a thread of greed and how one thing kind of leads to another and no event ever happens in isolation and there's all there's always that kind of like historical thing. The counterculture, I think, happens in the same way. And optimistically, you could say that there's the other side, right, where it's you trace back the movements. It is still building and it spikes at different points and, mm. you know, it, it troughs at different points. But in much the same way as that spirit that is embodied in that pronoun of I – the what is what is personified in this song is there. Well, so there's another character. It's not explicit, but I think you can see it there. Yeah, think of it from an American context, right? The amount of small grassroots activism that is around in the country right now, with people doing voluntary food banks, people protesting pipeline construction, the huge swell behind Black Lives Matter kind of thing. If you want to be optimistic in the face of the current political climate, don't look at what's happening with politicians. Look at what young, independent, proud angry, beautiful people are doing to make the world a bit better. And that's in the same spirit of what was happening with this. Even if it's just fuck you politics, sometimes a fuck you is what you got to say, right? And in this, and whilst they were signed to a major label and Michael Moore is a professional filmmaker, it's independent people trying to make a change. And that's where fucking, if you want to have optimism, that's where you have to fucking look. And also it's this awareness, right? Because in many ways, Rage Against the Machine is presenting a negative call to action. They're saying, sleep now in the fire, the implication being wake up to quote yeah. another Rage Against the Machine song. Mm-hmm. Um, it just fucking rules so it rules, hard. It rules a lot. It really does. The music is fierce. Zach's in great form. It's a thumbs up from me, fam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In 2005, Audio Slave made history by being the first ever rock band to play like a big open air show in Cuba. In the middle of that show, in between all of the Audio Slave songs, they play Sleep Now in the Fire. Now, if you want to see exactly why they could never have done Rage Against the Machine without Zach De La Roca, watch this performance. God rest his fucking soul. Chris Cornell, incredible musician, phenomenal singer. But the second you get him up there trying to do Zach's verses and, and that sort of stuff... He looks so out of place. It doesn't feel like he can connect to anything that the rest of the band are doing at all. The other three, they know this song intimately, whereas he doesn't have that visceral, immediate, direct connection that Zach De La Roca has. I think this shows exactly why when Zach quit, they couldn't have just gone, all right, well, let's get another singer. Like, they did get another singer, but they knew immediately, well, this is going to be a new band. Zach is irreplaceable. This song is reflective of that. This is just a remarkable, remarkable song. And it all comes down to uh, the way that Zach is performing. And I feel like if you want to reflect on how idiosyncratic this band was, like then you could do far, far worse than, than uh, showing someone sleep now in the fire as to you know, why this band was vital and why for a period this band really, really mattered. Totally. It really feels like the realization of their promise in a lot of ways. Not that other songs weren't as well, but like everything that I want Rage to be, they are here. At number 12, this is Magic Dirt. With Dirty Jeans. You're an ordinary boy, and that's the way I like you. On a train in the corner with a mind numbing headache. Well, up last night with only one night, had to let you know that you're beautiful and you make me go. Even if you're taking things. 
Magic Dirt making their debut in the Triple J Hottest 100, coming in at number 12 with the single Dirty Jeans, which comes from their album, What Are Rockstars Doing Today? Hey, Nathan, what are Rockstars doing today? Uh, Instagram concerts. Ah, uh, yeah. I've the heard. dishes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they got no hope, no cash, <laughs> and no outside. <laughs> no outside. Because Steve outside died. Sweet Lord. So, uh, Magic Dirt, uh, Geelong's finest. Or maybe not. Who else is from Geelong, Deej? <laughs> uh, you laugh, but he knows. Uh, the Red Paintings. Oh, oh, no. Okay. Yeah. So, Magic Dirt are easily Geelong's <laughs> finest. finest. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But a uh, quick shout out to my boy Nathan Six, great country singer from Geelong. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, he's fucking awesome. But uh, he will happily agree with me. He's no Magic Dirt. But he's also no Red Paintings, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Nathan, I just love how thorough you were. I just I just love the fact that you went, hang on a minute, I am going to check. <laughs> Not just going to go blazing in here and name a band Geelong's Finest before, oh, I, before I can check. All guns blazing, yeah. yeah. I don't want to yeah. end up in Andrew's apology yeah. corner. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cramped over there as is, man. <laughs> With all of Andrew's apologies, yeah. So I didn't kind of realise, but, but Magic Dirt had been around for quite a while by this point. Mm. They were super young when they started. Yeah, yeah, including getting like a few albums and... And they obviously never made it into the countdown before, but like Young and Full of the Devil and Friends in Danger both did okay on the Aria chart. So like they've kind of been kicking around, whereas I, I definitely am coming to Magic Dirt only knowing a couple of songs. And obviously this is one of them. This is a lovely sort of little pop ditty with a whole bunch of like 60s musical references in there, like the claps and, and just the, there's a whole like Ronettes vibe to it, which is nice. This has always been in my head, like one of the classic Australian rock songs from, from yeah. this era. Honestly, mm. coming back to it, I haven't listened to it for, for a while. There was a little bit less in it than I think I remembered. It's still very lovely, obviously. Um, it, it's charming and, and I think the lyrics are just kind of like nice like everything is just very nice but i think i think in my head i'd built it up a bit more somehow oh. i see what you mean because it's like one of their signature songs i think it's easily their signature song yeah 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 i'm upset yeah look i don't want to upset, I'm upset. People. I, like i'm not saying i don't like it but i was just like ah oh, this is i i feel like coming to it now i have the song figured out a bit more and and it made it less magic for me maybe it's just regular dirt I wanted us all to get together and talk about our feelings during Lotel. And then when Magic Dirt came around, I wanted us all just to get together and have a big love in and dissolve into a cuddle puddle. I'm so sorry. At least it's not like we didn't like that Rage song. That's true. We we, we gathered together and, stum- and stormed Wall Street <laughs> together. Uh, at least we'll have that memory. I think that this song is like a self-fulfilling prophecy. There could not be a better name for this song than Dirty Jeans because here is a song that is well-worn, well-loved, unique, personal. It's just an apex of pure, unpretentious rock. It just embodies that, call it as you see it, Australian rock vibe. Uh, It was just literally Adelita, the lead singer of Magic Dirt, um, wrote this on a train home one night and then kind of like showed it with the band. The band said like, oh, hell, we'll just workshop it and we'll ham it up. Um, We'll keep adding things to it and and having fun with the song. And you can just hear it, right? It's just pure joy. It is also embodies like two absolutely wonderful states. Number one, the state of being an incredibly cool person. <laughs> and number two, being an incredibly cool person in love with another incredibly cool person. It's goddamn sunshine. To me, this is an interesting one because I think this is a, a perfectly fine song. Like, I get that, you know, it's a very clear homage to that kind of era. But the fact that this is their biggest song and sounds absolutely nothing like Magic Dirt is so fascinating to me. Literally, the next track on this record is a song called Pace It, which is my favorite favorite Magic Dirt song by a considerable margin and I think best sums up everything about the band in its kind of thrashy, hard pub rock energy. This is so different to so much of the other stuff that uh, Magic Dirt were known for and were famous for at the time that it disconnects me entirely. I remember hearing like this record in full for the first time and hearing this track and was like, wait, what? Like, it was a classic, like, did did another song get burnt onto this CD? <laughs> huh. huh. Okay. 
I guess I don't know Magic Dirt that well. I'm, I'm the same as Nathan. I think this is probably the only Magic Dirt song that I really know. Well, you should do this record. You should definitely do Pace It. And yeah, definitely some of the earlier stuff where it's like much like thrashier and much harder and much tougher. They'd kind of go back to that a little bit later on in their career. And they put out this fucking killer song called Bring Me The Head Of, which sounds like like 50 foot Queenie era PJ. And it's just nasty and mean and fucking loud and it's so good whereas this just kind of feels like an anomaly on what is ostensibly kind of a pub rock record with a bit more slickness to it than your average yeah but do you love it this song i i like it oh my god i think it's good (laughs) i think it's i think it's a, a a strong fun pop song but this is not what i go to magic dirt for i'm so sorry adam (laughs) adam don't don't fret we can have our private love in because this Yay. song this song is fucking heavenly and come to, come to the back of a train with me let's do it man we'll just oh um, yeah. god here we go yeah i've heard the what a rockstar is doing today records the only much jet record i've heard but i discovered it through this song so deej i'm kind of on the flip side of you that this is what i want from magic dirt and they're more raucous less refined shit is it still rules like magic dirt are a terrific band but i remember hearing this song and Loved it from day one. This is just sweet, sincere, dorky, hard yeah. on your sleeve, following the Iggy Pop method of songwriting, which is the Kellogg's competition in 12 words or less. <laughs> like very brief lyrics, just repeated a few times. Adelita, her voice is fucking like raw and so human in the way she's singing it all, but also just like fucking sexy as hell, obviously. This is just a terrific terrific piece of pop rock i love this song so so deeply i can't really overanalyze it or analyze it in any way it's a shot of sunshine whenever i hear this yep. song it's just beautiful Aww. it's just so fucking sweet well thank god thank god one <laughs> of us is sensible yeah I, I thank god you know at least half this podcast supports australian music <laughs> <laughs> you know send all your complaints directly to, to Nathan and Deej. And, Look, um, I will say, I think this would work better on the Looking for Alibrandi soundtrack than the Lotel song. Because I have more a, feelings on this in. song. No. Put them both in. Chuck them all in. Go for it. The, the other thing I really love about this song, you mentioned, Andrew, about the, the minimal lyrics. Mm. To me, it just like totally encapsulates it when you... You just can't move past something. Yeah. It's just like you're, you're, you're just so enamoured with someone that you're just kind of like, can't stop thinking about them. It's, yeah. Yeah. I guess like the origin of the title slash, I guess like the punchline to the song had to let you know that you're beautiful and you make me go. There's always sweet things. And then in just like the end of it, it's just her saying, my legs are aching, my eyes are sore, haven't washed my jeans in three months or more. It's oh, just shit. Like, yeah, I'm a bit, a bit self-conscious because you're really cool. But- oh, I, I forgot I'm at a pub and I look kind of shitty because I've been out all <laughs> fucking weekend. Shit. Like, however, yeah. however, however. Here Not washing go. your jeans for three months. D- Adam, I'm glad you brought it up. It's it's how you should treat jeans. It is absolutely how you should treat... Guys, guys, your <laughs> jeans will look so, so much better. And it doesn't matter whether they're pre-washed. The less you absolutely, wash them. They do not need to be washed that much. If you want more info on uh, how to treat your jeans or whatever, feel free to hit me up. Come to the Discord. I'll start a jeans channel. Go to Adam's YouTube channel. Yeah, what's up, YouTube? Um, absolutely annihilate that subscribe button. Don't wash your jeans. <laughs> They'll get a better, more personalized wash. They'll look better. I'm currently wearing uh, some dry dyed nudies at the moment that I've had for about a year. Um, I think I've only washed them like once. I, I'm picturing black here, Adam. Yeah. No, no, no. My blue ones. Oh, your blues. My, yeah, um, those are nice jeans, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and and <laughs> I'm starting to get some nice like um, coloration happening on the knees. The honeycombing's coming in nicely as well. See, the natural coloration happens when you don't fucking wash them, fam. You got to let them be what it's- they are. You let life happen to your jeans. Yeah. Yeah, because few pieces of clothing age more wonderfully than something made of denim. Yeah. Jackets are the same. Don't wash your, don't wash your jet denim jackets. Wear them a lot. Like the coolest looking metalheads and gutter punks have battle jackets they've never washed. Yeah, um, you can do things about the smell as well. Just just airing it out if it starts to get a little yeah, bit pongy. Like simply just, you don't even need to wash it. You can spot clean, of course. Um, but if you just hang your jackets out and air them. Um, and also some people swear by freezing them for a little while. Just popping mm, it in a, in a plastic bag, putting it in the freezer. Eliminate the smell. Congrats, guys. Freezing does kill odors. Yeah. Yeah. Freeze them, dust a little bit of icing sugar on them. Have a treat in the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) A a genie treat. Uh, Mm. Well, look, there's no milk or eggs, so cool. Nothing, no problem. No milk, no eggs, no problem. (laughs) 
We had milk. We had eggs. We had jobs. And ten years ago, we had Steve Milk, and we had. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> we had Harvey Milk. <laughs> Harvey Milk. Oh god! I don't know who Eggs is though. Uh, I'm googling Mr. Eggs. <laughs> Everyone, Did you mean don't... Tim Rogers? <laughs> oh my god! Technically, Tim Rogers could also be Mister Milk. True. Mm. <laughs> you got to you get you get Tim Rogers over. Baby, you got an omelet going. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find anyone with the last name of Eggs? Well, I'm on the Wikipedia disambiguation page for Egg, um, <laughs> and there's uh, okay. Well, not ten years ago, but. Uh-huh. 50 years ago, we had Oscar Egg, a Swiss <laughs> racing cyclist. And earlier than that, we, of course, had Augustus Egg, of course. English artist. And there's also a fucking musician, a Scottish musician, oh, yeah. who, is st- who is still active today, who goes by the name Mr. Egg. So we still have egg. <laughs> we had milk, we still have egg, and no jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely no oh. jobs. You guys are fucked. The song rules. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, it, it rules so much. Jeans rule. The song rules. Being in love with people on trains. Um, can rule. What? Can. It can, it can rule. Um, oh, I thought, I thought yeah, you, you meant like the band can. They rule. Oh, the can. Fuck, of course you did. Of course you <laughs> yeah. did. You fucking whatever the, whatever the German equivalent of an Anglophile is. Well, it's Germanophile, but Germanophile. <laughs> It's because I was thinking about them because the artist Mr. Egg used to be in a band, I'm on his Wikipedia page, called Eggy Bamyasi, which is named after the great can record, Eggy Bamyasi. <laughs> I don't explain myself to you fucking people. Listen to Magic Dirt's Dirty Jeans and be happy. Time for fun and game is over. We are leaving Geelong and we are headed straight to Franger. At number 11, it's 28 days. With rip it up. 28, 982, coming through your speakers and features and style like this. Ripping about the mic inside, we're getting hyped to the old school 80s. Hot rock, hip hop, riffs like this. Kick it, kick it in a tight play, a lick it, he's like rock. I'm the seven kid. Can I take your damn that book and play? Did you hear that shit? Everybody rip it up. Yo, check this stuff. Days making their return to the Hottest 100, coming in at number 11 in the 2000 countdown. That, my friends, is the song Rip It Up. Now, of course, 28 Days are to Frankston, Victoria, what Magic Dirt are to Geelong, Victoria. The hometown boys made good. This was the first kind of taste of... I, I, I'll guess one of the first proper tastes of new metal and hip-hop-inspired rock in terms of a local front, really making a crack, making a dent in the mainstream. It's definitely stuff that we have talked about a little bit in terms of the Hottest 100, so acts like uh, the Test Eagles and our dear, dear close personal friends, Beaverloop. But... <laughs> This is the first time it's really starting to translate over onto commercial radio. It's starting to get aria chart positions. This song got played at my school discos. That That's when you know a song has kind of reached uh, a certain level. It's getting played at like primary and high school discos. <laughs> Scented versions, naturally, but yeah, it's it's still there. This is simultaneously one of the dumbest and one of the best songs in this countdown it makes me grin from ear to ear the second i hear that riff every time i hear that chorus it hides nothing about itself this is a song about ripping it up thus it's called rip it up there's basically nothing more to it when i hear shit like this it just it sets off my caveman brain i'm just here to get fucking wild son i'm here to fucking take off my shirt and put my hat on backwards and fucking party that's that's what this song is here to do and that is what i am here to do with this song i yeah i have no greater defense for it i just fucking <laughs> love it you i'm with you man i know the song is dumb whatever but it, for what it is it taps into a certain kind of id which is just when you want to rip it up 
when you want to rip it up and need a soundtrack to rip it up, sometimes you got to rip it up. Like the lyrics don't mean anything. I don't care. Even though he does say, um, you know that I'm down with doing what's wrong. I don't give a fuck like hits from the bomb. Hell yeah, brother. Which sounds sillier when I do it with that jaunty, the jaunty level. <laughs> yeah. Just being the whitest man alive, which also 28 <laughs> days are very white. No shit, Sherlock. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking dumb as shit fun. It's just perfect 4 p.m. big day out festival jump around music. That's what this song was designed to be. And that's what it be. There's something very special as well about this song is just about their style and, like, it's just not about anything. <laughs> Bands around this time loved doing that shit, right? They really did. Like, the trope codifier has got to be Backstreet's Backer, right? Like, yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's just like it's all fronting. Yeah, which but- is wild because, like, that was their first single to kind of crack it yeah. big and they're just like, we're back again. It's just like, cunt. No one knows who you are. <laughs> yeah. That's like that meme of like SoundCloud rappers starting off their raps with like, oh, you know who it is. It's like, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Never heard of you. This is your first WAV. <laughs> <laughs> WAVs are what cool kids call singles. <laughs> this isn't a right WAV though. <laughs> it's an all right WAV. Really? The hoity-toity Nathan Harrison. It's got to come down to DJ's level. Well, I just think that there's something so small time about their whole vibe that like I can't treat them critically or angrily or anything. It's it's not worth looking hard at, you know? And it's yeah, just like well, it's it's not intended to be. Exactly, exactly. It's just and it's just about ripping it up. So it's fine. What the fuck is wrong with you people? Oh, I knew you oh, were gonna oh, like it. Oh, oh, here we go. Great, great. In isolation, there's absolutely nothing wrong with what you've said, but like now you decide to support Australian music. Not when Motel <laughs> was here. Not when Magic Dirt was here. Oh no, but here's 28 days. Hey man, I love that Magic Dirt song. You know who else came from Frankston, by the way? Fucking Shane Coates from a little band called Madison Avenue. So don't go saying that they're Frankston's finest because you'll have to take it up with Shane. <laughs> yeah, whatever, right? man. Also Lee Harding. Remember Lee Harding? Yeah. You know for a fact that I do. Yeah, so it's not as clean cut as Geelong. A bit more going on in Frankston. Um, also, Tones and I, uh, but, you know. Nikki from Pagan uh, is originally from Franger. Uh, Seth Century as well. They're all over it. Yeah, they're all over it, baby. Oh, my mm. God. Adam, you don't fuck with this at all, then. I, I agree with Nathan that it's it's kind of a bit too backyard biscuit yeah. and wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> to, to to really like, I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to go in, right? It's kind of like when you're a parent, and I am a parent, if you remember, and your kid That's comes true. in and they're like, look at this, look at this song that I wrote or look at this play that I wrote. You're not going to be like, it's shit. You're going to be like, <laughs> good job, guys. You did great. Do you Put want it up like, on the fridge. Go and get some chips or something. Look at this custom Pokemon I drew that's holding a gun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's great. What a great, pro- what's it called? Gun. Oh, 28 days mod. It's called Rip It Up. It's called called Rip It Up. Yeah. Good job. Uh, You guys guys did really, really well. um, Okay. One of you or all of us, because it could be all of us, need to draw a custom gun holding Pokemon. (laughs) In fact, it's ISO. We all have time. Let's all do one. You mean we need to draw one as an adult and not just in our childhood? No, for for the hot content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the image for this episode. I think open it up. Uh, everyone, draw <laughs> everyone. a gun Pokemon, send it in. It has to be a Pokemon and it has to be mm. holding a gun. Yeah. Um, and you can name it whatever you like. Uh, pl- <laughs> and the best one we'll put on our hottest 100s and thousands fridge, <laughs> which which you will not win. Um, <laughs> Imagine you're seven years old and it's school holidays. <laughs> I'm so glad we are doing this. <laughs> and oh that's what God. I think of 28 Days. <laughs> I, I, I do want to actually, while we have time, um, and we do because we will record as much as we want, is have a look at just a few of the lyrics in here. One in particular in terms of like talking about the wholesomeness of the band. Loving my son and digging my family. Yes. I, that is such a good... Li- I'm digging my family. That is just... I can't hate a song that has that lyric in there. Yeah, so this has been a real episode of contrast between a band who is famously anti-family and a band who is clearly <laughs> famously just, pro-family. Just, just really digging on them. Just, just digging on them. Who says that? It's just wild. Um, also, like, 
this guy is so horny for his birth year, 1982. Oh, he's, yeah. He's 1982. Just, he's, what a year. He's just so pleased. He's just chuffed to have been born in the same year that E.T. was released. Oh, true. It's weird because, like, I barely remember any of my birth years. So the idea of being proud of it is weird to me. It was also the year that Tony Hawk turned pro because everything in this countdown has to go back to Tony Hawk. Mm. Nice. Of course. And what was your favourite thing to happen in 1982? Oh, it was the the year the uh, the Commodore 64 8-bit home controller was launched, which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Mm. That's pretty cool. That's worth shouting out, giving props mm. to, as Mr. Days does. <laughs> mm. Of course, Elizabeth II opened the Barbican Centre in London in that year. That is a cool centre. The cool centre. Can't argue with that. Uh, also, um, the year that uh, famed fa- famed uh, Duke of Cambridge, Prince William, was also born in 1982. Oh, yeah. Well, no he, shit. He, he gives props to that all the time as well in yeah. his verses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Always shouting it out. Do you think? Do you think the uh, the prince, the duke, who was it? William, Prince William. William. Think Big he's digging Willie. his family. Is he? Is he? Is he digging his family? Mm. Well, he's mm. digging the digging the benefits from his family. So yeah. 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 And of course, who can forget that was the year that uh, Swedish pop group ABBA made their final public appearance on British TV program. Ah, uh, yes. On the of late course. late breakfast show. Yeah. So again, it can't all be. Wine and roses. Sometimes it's. Did you say late, late breakfast? Yeah, the show is called the late, late breakfast show. It was the. Isn't um, that dinner? It'd be brunch or lunch, surely. Well, if it's late, late, you know that that to me implies you've gone past lunch. Look, well, some of us don't um, eat food before midday because our sleep schedule is fucked in ISO, so it's probably fine. Um, but you oh. probably know the late, late breakfast show famously because it was. Uh, when on December 11, 1982, Swedish pop group <laughs> ABBA made their final public TV performance. These are just things to know about the year and the fact that yep. they're happening, uh, being read out chronologically, but not no, read out. What do I mean by that? Being <laughs> <laughs> um, said out. Re- recited. Uh, recited um, in vague chronological order has nothing to do with the fact that the Wikipedia page lists them in vague chronological order. Well, you probably wrote the Wikipedia page based on your knowledge, yeah. right? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just a big 82 head. Well, I mean, back then we had eggs. We had. <laughs> oh, for the love of God. <laughs> we had everything we needed for a late, late breakfast. <laughs> Does anyone have the last name of lunch? <laughs> Mr. John lunch. Lunch. Google. <laughs> no, not John's lunch. Okay, forget it. Shall we wrap it up? Clearly, the roof's. Shit the bed. So. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. That brings us to the end of yet another, yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands. If you have made it this far, then fucking God bless you. We, we love you and we appreciate you. But... We are not done yet. We still have the top 10 to go, as well as a cheeky little remix of the 2000 countdown. And of course, before we get to any of that, we have to continue that ever-continuing story of favourites, least favourites, carryover champ, and carryover chump. Nathan, hmm. why, don't you, why, don't you, why don't you kick us off, man? Why don't you... Show them how it's done. All right. What do you got for us? Least favorite teenager of the year. Uh, oh, it is not my new okay. chump, though. That will remain MXPX responsibility. You're taking that to the end, eh? I mean, I think at this point, surely, right? Oh, yeah. Favorite, Mr. Egg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with, with a close second uh, to Sleep Now in the Fire. But uh, even though Sleep Now in the Fire is very, very good, I think I'll hold on to Radiohead as my champ. It's the same from me there, Nathan. My least favorite is Lotel's Teenager of the Year. My chump remains Everlast's <laughs> filthy affront to taste, Black Jesus. <laughs> Black Jesus! My fave is also Sleep Now in the Fire. And this, I will admit, is the closest a song has come to dethroning Radiohead, everything in its right place. But it can't quite do it because... That is going to be my champ for the whole count, and I dare say. Don't count your Mr. Eggs before they hatch, man. Before they Mr. Hatch. 
Uh, my favorite this week, I am going to go with Sleep Now in the Fire. Uh, and least favorite, I guess, probably Dirty Jeans, but like that's like fifth favorite because, like, yeah, this is a solid bracket. This was a really, really fun collection of tunes, uh, but my champ and chump will remain the same. Baby. My least favorite is 28 Days Rip It Up. It's a Pokemon, it doesn't need a gun. Something silly. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. And my f- my favorite from the episode is unsurprisingly uh, Raging Against the Machine, Sleep Now in the Fire. I feel like everything in its right place has been burning a hole in my pocket, man. Give it to him. You know what? Give it to him. You know what? And it's not as if I'm thinking about this for the first time either. I did I did think about it prior to this, but it's just every time. Give it to um. You guys are repping bloody... Everything in its right place. I've repped it for ages, and I found some really good shit in Sleep Now in the Fire this time around. You know what? Let's go. Give it to him. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I'm just getting itchy, man. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's pretty well established that I think Radiohead are a good band. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Greenwood is crying, Adam. Before we go, listeners, uh, next week is our remix episode where we uh, sing the songs that we would have voted for or would have liked to have seen in the countdown. Um, And, of course, that comes along with if you want to write in anything, uh, send us any sort of... Any, any complaints, criticisms, correct me on something else I fucked up, thanks. Compliments. Um, <laughs> compliments also good. It's all right. It's not, it, isn't, it isn't just the shit on Andrew's knowledge hour. What you would have voted for, what you mm. would have not voted for, anything, this is the time to write in. You can do it on, of course, Facebook and Twitter, which is just um, Twitter, Hottest 100s, Facebook, Hottest 100s and Thousands, email hottest 100s and thousands at gmail.com. Uh, if you're not on the Discord server, there's a link in the show description. You can do it there as well. Let us yeah. know what the fuck's up. Yeah, we'd love to roast you for the times you fuck up in your email to me for once. So <laughs> look forward to that. God. Um, yeah, come join us in the Discord as well. Like, it's a really cool place to hang. We're on there, like, quite a lot. So if you just want to leave any uh, comments for the remix on the Discord as well, it's probably a pretty easy way to do that if you've joined us. Yeah. All right, folks, that's going to do it for now. We are 90% finished with this goddamn countdown. And uh, I look forward to getting over that hill and cracking into the top 10 most popular, hottest songs of the year 2000 in the Triple J Hottest 100. But until then, my dear comrades, on behalf of Mr. Adam Buncher. Egg. Mr. Nathan Harrison. Uh, Milk. And Mr. Andrew McDonald. Milky egg. <laughs> oh, yuck. <laughs> My name is David James Young, and most things, apart from that shit, is good for you. <laughs>